When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome listeners to a bonus episode of Art Curious featuring my interview with Paul Fisher about his latest book, The Grand Affair, John Singer Sargent in His World. An iconic American artist, John Singer Sargent was also a complicated and mysterious man. While presenting himself as a reserved button-up businessman, he scandalized viewers on both sides of the Atlantic with his frankness and sensuality of his work. At the height of his renown in Britain and America, he quit his lucrative portrait painting career to concentrate on allegorical murals with religious themes and on nude drawings of male models that he kept to himself and that were undiscovered until after Sargent's death. In this groundbreaking new biography, scholar Paul Fisher offers a vivid life of the buttoned-up artist and his unbuttoned work. We follow him from his wandering trans-European childhood to the salons of Paris and the scandals and enthusiasms he elicited, and on to London where he mixed with Henry James, Oscar Wilde, and with other aristocrats and eccentrics. Along the way, Sargent formed a close relationship with a lightweight boxer who became his model, valet, and traveling partner. In later years, he journeyed around the world with his friend and patron, Isabella Stewart Gardner, and devoted himself to a new model, the African-American elevator operator and part-time contortionist, Thomas McKellar, who would become the subject of some of Sargent's most daring and powerful work. Masterfully researched and stunningly written, The Grand Affair brings back to life one of our most beloved artists and solidifies Fisher as a master of the genre. Paul Fisher is a professor of American studies at Wellesley College and the author of House of Wits, an intimate portrait of the James family, and Artful Itineraries, European Art and American Careers in High Culture, 1865 through 1920. He helped organize the Gardner Museum's path-breaking 2020 exhibit, Boston's Apollo, Thomas McKellar and John Singer Sargent, and contributed to the exhibition catalog, which won the George Wittenborne Memorial Book Award for the Best Art History Publication in 2020. Paul Fisher, welcome to Art Curious. Um, thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you here to talk about The Grand Affair. I want to ask you, first and foremost, why this book now? Uh, you know, why Sargent? Because one of the fascinating things about your book is that you're able to shed light on an artist who I think is one of those artists really enshrined in the art historical canon, so to speak, especially here in the U.S., but that some people think of as a little bit old-fashioned and that he's this late... 19th century, early 20th century artist who many of us know as a portraitist. And I think that's something that you tackle in the book's prologue. So tell us why Sargent and why Sargent now? Well, like many people, I've loved Sargent for years, and I've loved the sort of rich and shadowy images that appear in his paintings. So that really compels me to look at Sargent. But in these rich and shadowy images, I, I see a lot of stuff that's very contemporary. And I think part of it is because there are lots of hidden stories behind these paintings. Many people who look at Sargent feel as if they've met someone 
uh, met someone or or met someone they would like to know. And uh, the more you look at these paintings, the more you feel like there's something behind this. And I think there are a whole there's a whole cosmos behind this. And it has to do with, with what a fascinatingly complex person Sargent is in ways that we can appreciate today that have to do with gender and sexuality, among many other things. I totally agree with you. I thought th- talking about that aspect of looking at his portraits and the thing that seems like there's something deeper going on, there's something about the way that he renders, especially his his clients, the people who he's painting, that make him, them so affecting. It's almost like you walk by his portraits and you recognize people. You have not seen these people. They've been dead for a while now. But something about them, they feel like real individuals. And I think that takes incredible skill. I I really have that feeling about his paintings. And, you know, there's an old saying that books love anyone who opens them. Uh, Something that I love because I'm a reader and I love books. And I think paintings also love anyone who stops and looks at them deeply. It's as if they were waiting for you to come along and look at them. I think they're like magic mirrors waiting for us to activate them. Paintings aren't dead things for me. They're interactive, relational, communal things that all of us can really get deeper into. And I think this is especially true of Sargent's very complex and moving paintings. Oh, you are speaking to my heart so clearly right now. I always tell people, yes, that there's a relationship that's part of looking at art and that the viewer needs to be present to activate it, to get really excited about it. And I agree, they are rewarding. Could you tell us a little bit, because I know that no person is one note and that there are definite depths to Sargent that I think are revealed in your book. But I'm thinking about some art historians like me, for example, who I only really know some of the bare bones about his work of art. And I'm thinking mainly of things like Madame X or maybe Carnation Lily, Lily Rose. And then it kind of stops not far after that, as far as my knowledge uh, is concerned. But I found a lot of Sargent's works to be really interesting and his background to be interesting as well. Could you give us a little bit of background on Sargent's life? What made Sargent Sargent? There, there are so many things, and that's the, the complexity that's really there in the paintings. Uh, one of the things I find fascinating about him is that he was self-taught. Largely, he sort of taught himself to paint. His mother took him out painting almost every single day, but he mostly kind of figured out how to do it himself. Late in his adolescence and then as a young man, he had more training, and of course, he had splendid training in Paris. But mo- mostly, he's he's a sort of self-made artist, and that's something that we can really appreciate. And it means he's pretty quirky. Uh, Also, he had a very unusual upbringing, thanks to his quite unusual parents who took him. (laughs) He was born in Europe. He was born in Florence. And in fact, he didn't see the U.S. until he was 20 years old when he came back in 1876 um, and was quite surprised to see his his home country. Uh, He grew up in an English-speaking household, but he also spoke French and Italian. Uh, He knew a lot of other Americans in these various European cities where he lived, but he lived an itinerant life. He lived a life that was devoted to art. His extraordinary mother, whom I'm sure I will talk about at some point, kind of schooled him in this. And so he was somebody who had had grown up just to see things differently and to have very vibrant, dynamic uh, experiences. I in reading your book, I think one of the things that became clear to me really early on, I mentioned that there's a lack of my knowledge about Sargent's works in general, but it's really a lack about knowing about his background. So I'm so thankful that your book came along and helped elucidate some of these details. 
But I also realized that it looks like that's not entirely on me. It seems like there's not a lot that he left behind in the way of diaries or letters that really shed light on who he was as a person. How did you bring this book together? How did you formulate your thoughts on all these kind of previously hidden parts of especially his private life? That is a brilliant question because it really understands what biographers and historians have to do when they're facing a kind of complicated set of of hidden meanings and secrets in somebody like Sargent. My, one of my previous projects was on Henry James, who was a friend of Sargent's yes. and who left some 10,000 letters, oh all of them exquisite, yeah. complicated letters talking about his feelings and friends and experiences. With Sargent, there are far fewer and they're, they're very brief and telegraphic. So that, for example, I've often spent a whole afternoon uh, at a at an archive making out um, his his very difficult uh, handwriting, only to find out the letter says, "Sure, I'll come to lunch." Oh you know, it's something not very not very revealing, not what biographers really hope for. Um, so I, I certainly looked at all the every piece of paper that had anything to do with Sargent that I could get my hands on, and uh, both by him and by other people who who knew him. I also took the paintings as a source, and kind of unusually as a source of his th thoughts and feelings. Um, one, maybe I can explain that by saying that you know usually when I talk about Sargent, I have glorious slides. Oh yes, um, I, I love talking with slides, and I know this is a podcast where we don't have <laughs> slides, but yeah. but <laughs> I know it's. It's great. Not having them makes me realize um, how much I have to say about his images. Yes. Uh, my, my book has uh, some 60 illustrations, which is a lot for a biographer, for a, for a biography rather. Um, so much of Sargent's life hinges on the paintings and not just because they're his profession. I think these images have a lot to say about his inner life. And that's true of his famous public images like the ones that you know, Madam X and so forth, but it's also true of his kind of lesser known private production. Can you give us an example that one that speaks most to you that you think is the most revealing? Oh, goodness. I think they're all really <laughs> revealing. Um, uh, they all have really interesting um, stories to tell, which is why I wrote a 500-page book about this, <laughs> True, <good laughs> which point. is a, a lot to wade, wade through. But some of them I was able to include in the, the book, and they all have you know just wonderful twists to them. For example, there's a wonderful piece that he painted in the Alps, which is one of his many exotic uh, non-Western pieces. Uh, in the vein that's called Orientalism in the 19th century, where he shows a kind of chess game going on between a sort of fantastical Arabian Nights prince and princess. And this this he painted in the Alps, not in the, the Middle East, though he also traveled there. And what's behind it is that it's one of his favorite nieces uh, playing chess in, in costume with his valet. And, you know, in other words, it's a... As an example of how his personal life helped him construct his sort of imaginative images. I am so glad that you both mentioned his valet and his niece, because I think the relationships that you are charting in this book are one of my favorite parts. And again, because of that lack of uh, documentation, it, it's really interesting to see you putting these pieces together and trying to ease that story out. I want to talk first, I both directions. Oh, I have so many questions for you. I first want to talk about this idea of male romantic friendship that you discuss. And can you tell us what that means and give us an example? I'm especially thinking about your discussion of Sargent and Thomas McKellar as well. 
Oh, abs absolutely. And one thing to say about this this book is that it's a book that treats the queer sergeant, and and that that meaning um, a whole range of sort of sexual uh, and and gender uh, unconventionality. But it's not a claim. I don't don't make a claim that sergeant's gay in the modern sense. And so one of the things that I try to do is to bring in terms from the time that help us understand the more complicated ways that people could relate to each other. And one of these is romantic friendship. Uh, sometimes people misunderstand that term and they think, oh, it just means that, that they're, they're two friends who might have, you know, kind of extravagant feelings about one another. But romantic friendship is a big part of, of gay or queer history because it often is a, a kind of ambiguous uh, version of something that happens where the outside world doesn't really know and where it's kind of coded and it may or may not be romantic or sexual or, or, or erotic, but a lot of these friendships freely exist, especially in the uh, the world of, of Sargent's childhood, all through his life, really, when um, there was much more latitude for people having all kinds of complicated relations that weren't labeled in the way that we now label them. Tell us a little bit about Sargent and McKellar in particular. How how did they get to know one another? What was their their friendship like? Well, I'm so gl glad that you mentioned Thomas McKellar, which is the black model that that Sargent employed late in his life in Boston, and largely in conjunction with some decorations that he was doing for the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. And this was this was a guy whom he met at a hotel where he was staying in Boston. The guy was a, a hotel worker, a, a a bellhop, we'd now say, an elevator operator in this fancy hotel in Boston. And a lot of Black people in Boston during this time worked in the hotel industry. It was a, one place where they could get employment. And the two of them, um, somehow or other, um, hit, hit it off. And, you know, this whole relationship, by the way, is something that people have not written about a lot before. A few years ago, a couple years ago, there was a wonderful exhibition at the Gardner Museum in Boston called Boston's Apollo, which was all about um, Sargent and McKellar, and I contributed to that exhibition and, and wrote one of the essays for the exhibition catalog. And what's fascinating about this is that for a long time, not that many people were, were interested in uh, Sargent's models, uh, McKellar and otherwise, no one had really done research on him, but I did a lot and some other people in uh, for that exhibition did a lot. And we found out that there's a really resonant complex, it's racially complex, it's, it's sexually complex. We don't know exactly what the content of it would have been, but it was a close working relationship that helped Sargent create some extraordinary images. I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, I feel like I could go in two different directions right now. The first is that I wanted to talk about this idea of silencing or of censorship of Sargent that has happened. And I think a lot of that, if, correct me if I'm wrong, was because many of his documents were burned after he died. Is that correct? Um, th th that is correct um, in in the main. And what we mean by that, too, is there are lots, a lot of letter burning in the 19th century. <laughs> as a 19th century historian, I'm always dealing with, you know, big gaps because letters were burnt. Um, for example, Sargent and Henry James were were friends for, for many, many years, and none, I think one or two letters survived from their entire correspondence 
because both of them were very careful to keep their their friendship um, pri private. So yeah. this is this is certainly a, a factor. Sergeant himself would have destroyed some some of this stuff. I mean, I, I think that what's strange about Sergeant is that there were you know, I, I, in the last chapter of the book, I talk about how his sisters, as far as I can tell, didn't burn a lot. A lot of Victorian families did so. So oh, wow. Sergeant is kind of unusual in that that. Um, you know, th th there may be more there, and especially of his images of, of men, for example, than would have survived in other circumstances. Uh, but but that's that's certainly one of the reasons is because anyone with any unconventional uh, feelings would be very careful at a time when being gay or queer, whatever we want to call it, uh, would have been um, uh, seen as a, a sickness and a crime. Oh, good point. Uh you know, I was thinking about that idea of looking at that from this global perspective of what it was like at the end of the 19th, early 20th century. The subtitle of your book is John Singer Sargent in his world. So can you give us this look at what was his world like? Well, and one of the things that I really found fascinating about Sargent is the, 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 the glittering complex worlds in which he traveled. And I'm talking both about these fantastic cities uh, that I spent a lot of time describing, Paris and New York and Venice and um, places in the Middle East where he traveled. All of those things are, are just fascinating historically in themselves. But I'm also talking about specific worlds where he found um, sort of self-determination and freedom. And these are the the, the the art worlds of his time, uh, places like studios and salons and groups of artists, friends and country houses and uh, um, uh, the, the underworlds of cities. And all of these places, I think, have a lot to say um, about Sargent's um, way of navigating the world, his way of understanding uh, painting and what it meant and his way of, um, of, of putting meaning into his paintings. Mm. you're anything like me, you have tons of photos on your phone that you'd love to display or pictures from vacations that would make beautiful artwork or gifts. But taking the time to print and frame and just hang them seems overwhelming and time consuming. But I've got a great solution for you. With canvasprints.com, you can easily turn your photos into beautiful prints perfect for every room of your home or office and anyone on your gift list. Canvasprints.com offers the highest quality canvas prints at affordable prices, and it is so easy to use. Just upload your image, choose your canvas size, and check out. You can even add a floating frame, as I did to my print, for a beautiful finishing touch. The only limit is truly your imagination. And if you're not into Canvas, no worries, because canvasprints.com also offers metal prints, poster prints, photo tiles, photo gifts, and so much more. I am especially looking forward to making my own Christmas ornaments this year for my family and ordering some new Art Curious stickers, both of which are coming to canvasprints.com very soon. Right now, canvasprints.com has a special offer just for our listeners. Go to their website, canvasprints.com, and use code ARTCURIOUS25 to get 25% off your entire order of canvas prints, canvas wall displays, metal prints, photo tiles, photo blankets, pillows, and so much more. So why not start and finish your holiday shopping early with this amazing offer? That's canvasprints.com and use promo code ARTCURIOUS25 for 25% off your entire order.
The Barnes is home to one of the world's great art collections and has been a leader in education for 100 years. Online art history classes are taught by an expert group of international art historians, curators, conservators, and practicing artists, and cover a diverse range of topics spanning history and cultures. New topics and classes are enrolling monthly. You can focus in on Matisse in the 1930s, learn to see music while hearing art, or get up close to Modigliani with a team of curators and conservators who have shed new light on his works, and so much more. No art background is required, and you can increase your art knowledge while also strengthening your ability to look closely and think critically. For a limited time, get 10% off your first Barnes class when you visit barnesfoundation.org slash newstudent. The Barnes. Feed your mind. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't you wish you had a guidebook to help you through the big moments of your life? Like how to deal with your anxieties for going off to college, starting a new job, or even committing into a new relationship. I mean, that would be pretty darn useful, right? Unfortunately, life doesn't come with a user manual. So when things aren't working for you, it's totally normal to feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's a career change, a new relationship, or becoming a parent. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. Therapy for me has a broad range of benefits. Not only has it helped me learn key ways to manage my issues, but it also has helped me to grow, to become more assured and more self-accepting. And whether you're dealing with something big like trauma or the stresses of daily life, I firmly believe that anyone and everyone can benefit from therapy. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash artcurious. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash artcurious. You mentioned Sargent's mother earlier, and you also referenced his niece. I really want to talk about his relationships with women. I found that to be so striking and I think just as interesting as your discussion of his relationships with other men, whether they be friendships like with Henry James or that potential queerness of his male relationships. But his friendships with women are so powerful. And of course, I'm thinking of Isabella Stewart Gardner. Can you talk about this relationship that he had with various women in his life? Oh, absolutely, Jennifer. And that's a great thing to focus on because I think it's one of the most important parts of the book, Sargent's relation, especially to assertive and rule-breaking women. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about patrons, sitters, models, friends, confidants, and sometimes what I call divas in the book. Um, This is a word that was coined in the 1880s during Sargent's lifetime for the fantastic women who appeared on stages and and elsewhere in public. Yes. Um, You know, I, I... I think um, uh, by, and and there are so many different cases of these women that we might discuss. I mean, you mentioned Isabella Stewart Gardner, who's Mm -hmm. one. You mentioned Sargent's um, mother, who's another. Um, And I think what collectively, what these women 
these women are doing a lot of things for Sargent all at once. I mean, one of the one of the big questions about Sargent for years is why this relatively mild and sedate man, a workaholic, uh, a quiet kind of retiring person, would paint so many scandalous pictures. <laughs> um, you know, like like Madame X is the famous one, and th- th- there are a lot of answers to that. The, the most literal and simple one is that he wanted to get attention, and painting sort of you know sex cells and sort of painting sort of scandalous women would get him a, a attention. Although that really backfired with Madame X uh, because he got a lot of negative attention. Uh, but there's a lot more to it than that. Women's lives were changing in the late 19th century. Uh, they were getting more education, travel, self-determination, sexual autonomy, and so forth. And I think Sargent really loved the dynamic quality of these women pioneers, and he derived a lot of energy and inspiration from them. Um, also, I think they did all sorts of things he couldn't do. Could you give me an example? I love that. Well, I mean, they were, you know, w- women, and it wasn't free for them. It was difficult. And these women were really brave to 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 sort of fly in the face of conventions. And he knew all kinds of unconventional women. Isabella Stewart Gardner was a famous example of this. She was, you know, she was um, blamed in Boston for being far too sort of sexually free and, and, and you know, kind of had a, a bunch of scandals of her own. Um, you know, um, uh, I, I think they were able to be free and lively and intrepid in a way th- that he felt he couldn't be, partly because of this 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 kind of worry about um, crossing boundaries that we we might describe as as queer. Um, uh, but it's I talk about this in the the introduction, which is called the Prince of the Glass Palace. And what I sort of mean is I'm talking about the glass palaces of the exhibition halls in Paris and the the railway stations, too. But it was, in fact, how his elite male privilege actually proved a terrible trap for him. Yes, I loved that. And that was such an interesting perspective, because I agree, it's not something that I would normally think of a a white man in the late 19th, 20th, or, you know, early 20th century. You think about them having access to absolutely everything. So that was fascinating to me. Just to mention very, very quickly, um, Sargent's mother. Yes. Oh, is terrific. Yes. yes because the, the, the first chapter of the book after the introduction is called Mrs. Sargent's Party. And I think I think she's a really extraordinary person. Um, and one of the reasons I even wrote this book, his mother was Mary Singer Sargent, who was a Philadelphia heiress who wanted to become a painter but couldn't. Nobody let her. Right. Um, uh, and partly because it was so unrespectable for a woman to want to be a painter. In fact, when Mary Cassatt's father found out she wanted to go to Paris to, to study painting, he said, it's better, you should be dead. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but but Sargent's mother, Mary Sargent, slipped out of her assigned role as a Victorian wife and led a free-spirited life of a, travel and a, a, a traveler and a tourist. And Sir, Sargent learned a lot from her. And, you know, one of the reasons I wrote this book is because one famous biography um, from the 1980s of Sargent described Mary Sargent, his mother, as a shallow, spoiled woman. Oh, no. Compromised her family by being a restless tourist. Oh, my gosh. And I think that's ludicrous and misogynistic. I think Mary gave her children extraordinary experiences. Her outings were wonderful. And Sargent's childhood friend, Vernon Lee, described her as the enchanting, indomitable, incomparable Mrs. S. Oh, thank you so much for correcting the record. I completely hate that previous uh, assertion of her personality. That's horrible. Yeah, it is. 
she was well-versed in art and she threw these wonderful artistic parties and Sargent owed her a great debt for his cosmopolitan view of the world. Oh, absolutely. Another thing that was fascinating is I would love for you to talk a little bit about sort of the final years of Sargent's life, because this is really something that was completely new to me. I did not know anything about him being appointed as an official war artist during World War One. Could you tell us a little bit about that later portion and his mural uh, works, for example? Well, and, and the famous mural that he produces from his whole experience as a war artist, and this is very late in the war in 1918 when it was almost over, um, uh, is called GAST, G-A-S-S-E-D, mm-hmm. and it's uh, a very moving um, kind of group picture of some soldiers, wounded soldiers, just gently sort of linked together, touching each other's shoulders as they move along in this war-torn landscape. And he was commissioned by the Anglo-American authorities to, to, to create this. And he had he had largely been away from Britain during the the First World War. He'd been living in in America with his valet and, and and other other people. So that when he came back, it was kind of a new and disturbing experience for him. He did lots of sketches, but he was very moved by what he saw uh, when he went to these battlefields, especially because he had grown up in in some of these same landscapes. He was, uh, he, he'd, there's certainly been plenty of turmoil all during his life, but he'd never seen anything quite like this. And I think what he was able to produce from that ex- that experience was really quite um, unusual. And again, unusual in a way that only Sargent could be. I mean, some of his, uh, the sketches that led up to this, this kind of masterpiece were um, of individual soldiers. He found them very moving, and he would often paint these these kind of odd pictures of soldiers who had just been bathing or doing sort of innocent things to sort of talk about the, the, the cruelty and the enormity of war. I am so glad you mentioned that because that was something that really stuck with me was that those those little sketches, the watercolors of them just sort of relaxing. You know, they're not in these moments of turmoil or battle. They're having these gentler moments. And I thought that was extremely moving. So I I love that. I wanted to ask at the very beginning when I was asking you why Sergeant, why now? You talked about how so many of moments of his life are reflective of a lot of the same kind of concepts that we are dealing with in contemporary life. What makes Sargent for you such an important artist for us to know today? Well, I I think what I most appreciate about Sargent is is his trueness to complexity. Mm -hmm. He is able to give us... um, uh, th- these images of people that are not reducible to sort of simple categories, so that when you when you see one of his um, quite uh, sort of beautiful extraordinary women, there's there's vulnerability, there's there's complexity. So it's definitely about our our, our modern conceptions of uh, of the complexity of our own society that certainly have to do with gender and sexuality. Also, Sargent painted a lot of non-Western people, often in a kind of Orientalist mode that was that, that, that was um, connected to the colonialism and imperialism of the time. But on, on the other hand, he really loved non-Western places and felt that they were a huge antidote to a lot of the uh, problems that, that he he saw in Western societies. So, I mean, he's related to to globalism. He's related to the, the complexities of gender and sexuality that we know these days. 
he, he's somebody who really accommodates complexity. And one of the things I really try to do in the book is, is not to be, to give a sort of reductive view of Sargent as just a sort of a, a queer painter, painter, whatever that would mean, but to, to, to show how there is just so much packed into each one of these images. Yes. And that was one of the things I thought is that, you know, we have this view of him as this, I think you call him buttoned up in a lot of ways, but yes. that there's so much more that can be revealed, as, as you so clearly point out. Before we go, I, would it be okay I asked some of my interviewees to go through a few little quick-fire questions that aren't necessarily related to your project, but please feel free to interject if they are related. I'll certainly give that a shot. <laughs> okay, great. All right, so here we go. First question. Favorite artist who is not Sargent? Um, Degas. Ooh, good choice. Good choice. What is your favorite period in history? Oh my goodness! Again, so many favorites. I I, I think um, the nineteenth century, which I write about a lot. Love it. Uh, if you could go back in time to any one moment, what would you choose? Once again, I would really love to do that, and the the, the relevance of the, I mean, and and partly because for anyone who's been doing research, it's it's hard to get at the truth. And one of the things that they sort of teach you in biographer school is that when you're reading memoirs, that's the least. Uh, uh, authentic or trustable form. Yes. So I would love to go back and see how it really is as opposed to how people remember it in memoirs. Oh, I love that. That is such a great idea. Ooh, yes. I want to be in one of those studios while Sargent is painting. I just want to I, see a fly on the wall. <laughs> I would I would love that too. Well, there's just so so much that's 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 interesting about Sargent and oh, I'm glad that you it. mentioned Thomas McKellar. One fun fact about Thomas McKellar is that I've since that that um, uh, exhibition came out, there's been a lot of interest about this relationship because it seems so modern and so complex in so many ways. And I actually met uh, a a librettist and a composer who are are putting together an opera oh about Sargent gosh. and McKellar. Oh wow! Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, fascinating too. How exciting! Yeah, I think that's really interesting, and that's how interested people are in in the kind of backstories. Uh, these, these fascinating backstories about Sargent. You know, people always ask me, being an art historian or being someone who's interested in art, especially art that's not contemporary and of our moment, I always get this, which I think a lot of historians probably do, which is you know, how much more is there to say? And, and haven't you been talking about these people for hundreds of years in some cases? And I always tell people there is always more to say as we develop as a society, as we move through time, we have differing perspectives and more research that can be done. And so I am thankful that you have spent years working on this and giving us these new perspectives. Thank you for bringing Sargent to us now. Well, thank you for appreciating what's interesting, complex, and quirky about Sargent, because I think these really bring his paintings alive. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this super fun interview that I did with Paul Fisher about The Grand Affair, John Singer Sargent in His World. If you haven't already purchased a copy of this book, I highly do recommend it. It will make an excellent holiday present for the book lover and art lover in your life. And just to make it easy on you, I have put a link in the show notes of the podcast today. And you will also find a link to purchase the book on my website, artcuriouspodcast.com. I will be back with you with another episode of Art Curious in another week. So stay tuned for that. And until then, stay curious. What are you going to eat for Thanksgiving that you're most excited about? <laughs> 
Uh, it's going to be pretty traditional. And one of the things I most love is stuffing. Oh, me too. I think that's my favorite part, honestly. 